Good morning and welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nakam Siegel Network, NakamSiegel.com, and on the NSN app. And, well, we have a pretty unusual case out there, right here in our backyard. The case of the fabulous George Santos of Congressional District Number 3. Right here on Long Island, Nassau and Queens Counties. So I thought it behooves us, behooves us, I think it, uh, just for educational purposes, so many people keep asking, how did this happen? How does this happen? What is going on with this guy? And how in the world did he win a congressional seat? And I think it makes sense to kind of step back for a second and have some understanding of how people become the nominee for Congress in various places how they become a nominee for any office in that sense. You know, why weren't they vetted? Why did somebody vet them? Why was there no research going up against them? And how can you tell so many lies and so many lies within a such a small period to the sense that you really have no idea in a sense who this guy is. And I, I will say uh, I have interacted with George Santos. I know George Santos. I've spoken to George Santos. I think he would recognize, I, mean, I know he would recognize me. I would recognize him. We've been to events together. Not going to call him a friend. Not going to call him an enemy. Definitely an acquaintance. And that's about it. But I do know of his career going back to, let's say, 2020 when he ran for the first time. And that's really where you have to set the stage as to how George Santos became the congressman from the 3rd Congressional District. Now, let's look at the 3rd Congressional District for a second, because this only happens, I believe, in a redistricting year when the lines have changed. You have an old district, then becoming a new district. The old district, not really winnable with the strong incumbent Democrat. So it's not really winnable for a Republican. And then a new district that becomes much more winnable, particularly in a bad year, in New York, specifically, for Democrats, in a bad year for New York, for Democrats, particularly in the suburbs and some areas of New York City. So the old third district was represented by Tom Swazi. Many are familiar with Tom Swazi. He was Nassau County Executive for quite a few years, then lost ran for governor originally in a primary against Elliot Spitzer, decided once again he wanted to run for governor, so he gave up his congressional seat in order to run in a primary against Kathy Hochul. This past year, in 2022, he did not win, but there became a vacancy. And there was a multi-player, multi-candidate Democratic primary to replace him eventually won by Robert Zimmerman of Great Neck, a well-known party person, meaning a DNC member, Democratic National Committee member, member of the National Party, a well-known figure, well-known fundraiser, well-known organizer, and he was the Democratic candidate against George Santos. Now, mind you, he was this is his first time running for a big office, and that'll come into play a little bit later, potentially. 
But let's talk about George Santos. George Santos in 2020 is getting involved in politics. Who knows exactly what he's doing because we actually don't know really from his resume whether anything's true. And got to look at the resume yesterday. Posted it online, the one that he submitted to the Nassau County Republican Committee. It seems actually if you look at that resume that nothing um, – well, I shouldn't say nothing. Most of it was not true. Right? He claimed to have gone to NYU Business School, got a 710 in his GMATs. He claimed to have gone to Brute College. Not true. Uh, it's not clear even that he was born in the United States. We actually just don't know whether he was. He says he was born in Elmhurst Hospital, but some people say he was born in Brazil. He certainly seems to have been in Brazil because there was this potential crime that he did in Brazil. He didn't work at Goldman Sachs. He didn't work at Citigroup by his own admission. So that resume is, I'd say, mostly false. See, that's the issue here. I'll get back to this in the commentary a little bit later about him. But what do you do with a guy who essentially makes it all up? I think that's the real challenge that you have when you come into this vetting process. So we're setting the stage for George Santos. And the kind of the question we're trying to answer is how does this happen? Why does this happen? Or what you know, how can this happen? You know, this is, is an information age, right? We, 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 we have access to massive amounts of information, always. There's just no reason that you can't find out, actually, what's an accuracy, who a person is. But most parties don't have the time and the resources to go ahead and pick, I'm sorry, and vet their own candidates. They actually leave it to themselves. So once again, we'll set the stage for 2020. So George Santos comes from Queens, where he had just unsuccessfully ran for district leader. District leader is one of those party positions. And he ran against the Queens Republican Party. Actually, against the current chairman, I believe, for district leader, Tony Nunziato, who is now the chairman of the Queens Republican Party, was not at the time. And he runs for that see, as an insurgent, as an anti-party person. After that, he comes to the Queens Republican Party and says, I want to run for Congress against Tom Swasey. And everybody says, well, it's a suicide mission because you're not going to win. Swasey's clearly going to win. And he decides that he's going to take, on, take that on. Now, this is a three-county seat. This is the old third district. Currently two counties, but then it was three counties, Queens, Nassau, and Suffolk. Each had a piece of the district. And what happens then is that various county organizations and the Republican side is less likely to be a primary, but there are primaries and there had been primaries for this seat on the Republican side, but there's less likely to be a primary. And they had a discussion as to who was going to run. I don't believe anybody from Suffolk stepped forward. Nobody from Nassau stepped forward. And eventually the parties agreed, okay, they'll run George Santos. Not going to win anyway. Not that big a deal. Now, typically when you put together a campaign as George Santos would have done in 2020, you would actually have somebody do a research book if you have a real campaign, right? And the first thing you do when I go ahead and meet with a candidate is, is there anything you don't want people to know about you? Because you have to assume it's eventually going to come out if you're running for a substantial office and they feel that it's going to be a close 
So do the opposition research on yourself. And, you know, typically the basic things, do you have any judgments against you in court? That would have come out with George Santos having these issues in housing court, meaning evictions, being evicted from various places. Uh, would you have any criminal backgrounds? You ever been arrested? You ever had a DWI? Have you ever not paid your taxes on time? Anything? Have you ever missed a filing for your taxes? Those kinds of things uh, might come up. Messy divorces, uh, messy civil suits. All those things are a matter of public record. And they might come up. And you do that kind of book on yourself first to see if there's anything that's really disqualifying. Clearly, I'm sure Santos didn't do that himself because there really would be no way to do it given how much he embellished, those are his words, his resume. And he continued to do and to have these fantastical claims about his resume over time. And then, and then... We move into the actual campaign. I'm sure Swazi and his crew didn't take Santos seriously. They didn't think he was going to win. In a year where President Trump in New York was particularly unpopular, Santos was running as a Trump Republican. A, and you know, Trump ended up losing New York overall by 30-plus points. But on Election Day, due to the what is known as the red mirage of Democrats voting by paper heavily and Republicans voting on election day, George Santos was up by a couple thousand votes. And of course, immediately in 2020, he claimed victory. And this is really important as to how he becomes the candidate in 2022. So George Santos claims victory and says he won the seat so much so that he goes down to Washington and attends the freshman orientation. Because remember, the votes in New York don't get counted, even started for seven days because absentee ballots still need to come in. So all those paper ballots sit there for a week or more, and then they get counted. And Swazi ends up winning by more than 10 points in this race. But people remember that Santos came really, really, really close, even though he didn't actually come that close. But there was this perception that Santos almost won and he almost took out Tom Swazi. Now, if he could almost beat Tom Swazi in 2020, which is, was a terrible year for New York Republicans, then he might be able to win that seat in 2022. And that was the perception that he kept alive over that time of continuing to run and continue to be in it. Also, after that time, Santos decided he was going to somehow, he was going to amass a considerable fortune to donate to both his campaign and to other organizations. And he did to the tune of six-figure donations, $185,000, $158,000, I believe, to the Nassau County Republican Party. And that goes a long way into getting you into the good graces if you want to run again. So now let's set the stage of 2022. As we've talked about in the past of the show, the lines change called a redistricting year. But this was an unusual redistricting year, a year like no other in New York in particular. And George Santos benefited from this tremendously. In 2022, the Democrats put forward a district, a proposed district, which passed in their extreme gerrymander, 
which was later, of course, overturned by the courts as unconstitutional. But they put forward a plan of a district that would run from a district that really was very unattractive to Republicans, a district running from Suffolk County through Nassau County, through Queens County, up through the Bronx into Westchester. So a district really that was not suitable. The Westchester part was very extremely hard for a Republican to win. Obviously, the Bronx, not friendly territory towards Republicans. The Queens part, conservative, but again, not as friendly and really took parts of just traditionally Democratic areas and lumped them together to make sure that a Republican could not win the seat, as they did with the gerrymander for most of the seats. This was an effort really to reduce the Republican representation in New York in Congress down to three or maybe four seats. So you had three to four safe Republican seats, and you would have 22 or so Democratic seats. Now, we know, due to a lawsuit, brought by uh, John Faso and others um, in state court that these lines were overturned and a special master was retained because the legislature didn't do its job to go ahead and redraw the lines. Now, this new district, the New York Three, became a much more palatable, particularly in an off year, meaning a non-presidential year for Republicans. Instead, uh, they took out Suffolk no longer had Suffolk County in there, even though those that was friendly, but it also took out the Bronx and Westchester and made it a heavily Nassau seat with a little piece, about 10%, maybe 10 to 15% in Queens. But many of those areas of Queens, uh, quite conservative, particularly the northern part of Whitestone, which has been very friendly territory towards Republicans in the past couple of years. You also, it also added parts of the town of Oyster Bay that are very, very Republican, such as Massapequa and Levittown. And these areas have been trended extremely Republican, extremely red, a lot of Republican votes. So you had basically the town of North Hempstead, the town of Oyster Bay, those two towns in Nassau County, as together with this piece of Queens. Now, George Santos is sitting there and he's willing to run in that other district. Even the bad district, he's willing to run again to give it a go. And he was already on the petitions because they had already started petitions under the old lines. Even the new lines were redrawn. So that when they go ahead and have petitions now for the new lines, it's tough to kind of push George Santos out to say, hey, he's no longer the guy. Remember, even though they never vetted him and even though, I mean, they never, sorry, they vetted him. They just never did a deep dive into his background because who lies about their entire resume or 75% of their resume? I mean, it's, it's funny. Like if I were to run for Congress and say I was born in Texas, undoubtedly there'd be somebody who would come forward and, and uh, that would be my thing. You know, I'm born in Texas or I'm not sure. Or I, maybe I'd say I'm Israeli. There would somebody come forward and say, Hey, he's not Israeli. He does. So he wasn't born in Israel. Uh, maybe I would do that to appeal to the Jewish population, and I would, someone would come forward and say, "No, he's not. He didn't serve in the Israeli army, right?" So you always have that risk that somebody's going to come forward and do that. But it didn't happen with George Santos, probably because the lies were so extreme and there were so many of them that you didn't, you didn't even know where to start. In a sense, really, nobody knew the guy. 
most people who run in Nassau County as Republicans are known to the organization, meaning they've 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 come up through the ranks. It's a real party organization. You've either run for county legislator or town council or assembly or state senate at some point. Even if you've run unsuccessfully, you're kind of known before you run for Congress. This is a case because of the dynamics of the congressional seat that nobody really wanted to run until it became a very favorable district as it is now, a more favorable district. I say it's still a district that Joe Biden won, uh, won uh, not, you know, not super close. Uh, not a super close district. So it's a district that was very uphill for Republicans. And I think the Democrats treated the seat as one that they were going to win. And they had a multi-way primary. Robert Zimmerman ended up winning. And for some reason, he just never, his focus was entirely on abortion. And as you know, Kathy Hochul, that's when New York Democrats decided to focus on. He focused on abortion and focused on the fact that Santos was a Trump Republican in a district that Trump did not win and probably figured that that was going to be enough. Now, yes, Santos was very Trumpy, very pro-Trump. Santos claimed that he went to the rally on January 6th, did go to the Capitol, but also that he had financed the defense, meaning given a check to the defendants on on January 6th who were being prosecuted for entering the Capitol. Now, whether or not that's true, I have no idea. But that's what they focused on. They did not focus on this serial lying and this serial embellishment. We'll put it at that. That is George Santos' words. So George Santos ends up winning because it's a great year in Nassau County for Lee Zeldin at the top of the ticket, who carries four congressional seats on Long Island. Remember, the environment was that the all four congressional seats, number one, uh, Nick LaLota wins. Number two, Andrew Garbarino gets reelected. Number three, George Santos. And uh, district number four, Anthony D'Esposito wins in a Biden plus 14 district. And if you're going to win in a Biden plus you know 14 district, uh, you're going to win in a Biden plus 10 district, which is the one that George Santos was running in. And he ends up winning. Uh, by thousands of votes. And the Orthodox community, particularly in Great Neck, votes for him uh, quite heavily as a Republican. So now what we're left with. So George Santos has decided on a, well, not even sure what the strategy is. Initially, he said that he was going to, there was explanations for everything. He was going to Come clean, if you will, or have come forward. And he did a couple puffy interviews, then went on Tucker, where the guest host was Tulsi Gabbard, who literally skewered him over his dishonesty. It's really hard to make, from our perspective, I I just want to focus on the Jew-ish thing, because George Santos has made Jew-ish kind of a meme. And perhaps he and his people and his uh, spin people don't really understand why that would be offensive. Uh, in a sense, like, well, I'm happy if people want to identify as allies of the Jewish people, common with the Jewish people. But George actually sent out campaign promotions as an American Jew, claiming to be an American Jew. But essentially to say, well, vote for me, for, support me, give me money because I am Jewish. 
which in fact he wasn't, or he wasn't sure whether he was. Either way, it's it's a little more than an embellishment, but the root, I think, of my frustration, disappointment, and outrage when it comes to George Santos is the Holocaust refugee thing to identify with the Holocaust is one thing and to talk about maybe perhaps your grandparents were refugees. Perhaps they were. Who knows? It's kind of unclear and I haven't done any genealogical study. But they weren't, in fact, Jewish refugees who escaped the Holocaust, which he claimed to do essentially for political expediency. And this points to some people will say, well, isn't it nice? Don't we have, isn't it nice if we have people who want to identify with the Jewish people in a age of anti-Semitism, he wants to say, but you don't have to lie in order to do that. You can empathize, empathize and sympathize and make common cause with the Jewish people and protect the Jewish people and support Israel and combine anti-Semitism without actually claiming to be Jewish. All these things are not contradictory one to another. And, you know, the old, I can't be anti-Semitic, I have Jewish friends. It's kind of that argument in a way. It's just, it's just a bizarre, downright bizarre argument to send to talk about that. At the same time, other people have this idea, well, you know, if we kick out George Santos and we don't support him, we have to look at everybody's resume in Congress and look at them and see whether they ever told a mistruth. Uh, Obviously, Senator Blumenthal from Connecticut comes to mind for his embellishment of his own resume with regard to his service in Vietnam or actually not serving in Vietnam, not being a veteran of the war specifically, but somebody who served stateside. Uh, Yeah, he should be taken to task and taken to the woodshed on that one. I think he was. I think the voters can have their say on that. It's a little different, though, because the reason people are disavowing George Santos, particularly the Nassau County Republican Party, who did it with unanimity yesterday, was as uh, town of Hempstead, North Hempstead supervisor, Jen DeSena said, uh, right off the bat, as well as uh, County Legislator Mazzy Phillip, who said he lied to me directly. He asked me for my endorsements. And he lied about whatever it is that they asked him, but he outright lied and they felt that he lied. I don't know if that's the case with Dick Blumenthal from Connecticut, where he went around to people and said, I am a Vietnam veteran. Support me. Um, I want your endorsement. But it could be. And that could be the case. I just don't see the parallel. There's all kinds of people want to nitpick. And I got this editorial from a friend who sent it to me yesterday and says, well, Democrats shouldn't... uh, shouldn't be should be careful who they call on to resign from Congress because you know there's all these Democrats who should resign because of their resume and lying Eric Swalwell etc. But it's kind of problematic when there are Republicans, including his own county and others who know him best or are closest to him, who are the ones calling him to resign. If that's the case, you really don't have an argument as to why the Democrats should be doing it because it seems to be a bipartisan issue that George Santos would want to resign. If I'm him. I don't resign. I stay in there. I mean, bottom line is, you know, the reason we have to we talk about on the show is the inside politics here. He's got nothing to trade 
if the feds come after him on his financial issues other than his seat. I don't know that there is much else there to avoid jail time. So if you're his lawyer, you're sitting there and you're saying, don't do anything. I mean, he really should lay low because I don't know how he survives the press scrum that every time he walks out of his office, um, which has been quite, become quite entertaining. So he is in the, the he is in a little bit of a catbird's uh, seat, if you will, because he they need his vote right now. And I doubt that Kevin McCarthy is going to do anything to move him out of there until the judicial system, not the judicial system, excuse me, the justice system runs its course and there are multiple investigations going on. So we will have to see. Maybe he will resign. Maybe he won't resign. I will say it's a difficult situation to have nobody to work with um, when all these offices have said they will not work with him because of the lack, total lack of trust factor. And in fact, you know, they feel that he deceived so many of them during his run for Congress. So a little bit of perspective, I guess, on that, on how this came to be. It's extremely, extremely unusual because candidates generally don't come out of nowhere as George Santos did. Candidates generally don't then throw out, throw around hundreds of thousands of dollars as George Santos did and really come from nowhere. They kind of start with some kind of basis of being party donors or being party activists. And in this case, because of this unique redistricting year, this unique setup between the districts and the boundaries, his initial run, and the fact that people thought he had won and then he lost, but people perceived that as being close that race in 2020 against Tom Swazi being closer than it, than it was and Swazi then bowing out people and the Republican side seeing that as him being the most logical candidate potentially to run there's a lot of things in here that lead to George Santos coming in so that's we that's it for this week here on spin class here on the Nakam Signal network there is so much to talk about including the Congress and the McCarthy vote uh, kind of went through that last week. I don't really want to talk about Matt Gates again, other than to say there are people in Congress who are there to work. There are people there there to perform. We'll have to decide who is who uh, in there. But you know, let's get serious. The country has a lot of issues that need to be tackled. A lot of issues need to be solved. You can't solve anything by burning it all down. So stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks here on the Nahum Siegel Network. See you next week. 